0: Good morning once again. Good morning. This uh, morning, we continue with our series, Into His Likeness. It's been several weeks that we've been on this topic, on this series. And uh, I am really, for myself, I'm getting, getting a lot of insight for my own self. Insight that is very important for me to understand what it means to be into his likeness, to grow into Jesus' likeness. And just a quick recap because we, didn't, we haven't done this continuously because we've had so many different other uh, activities or other focuses on other Sabbaths. So it's been kind of broken, and that's why I've provided this recap as a reminder for each and every one of us. When I started this back in June, Into His Likeness, we looked at how the purpose of life is to walk with Jesus so we can be transformed into his likeness. We're not to just focus on calling. I mean, that is admirable, but really we should focus on a life walking with Jesus so we can be transformed into his likeness. That's from 2 Corinthians 3.18. And then week two, the second week of Into His Likeness series, we focused on the Holy Trinity. If we're talking about the... The likeness of God, well, what is the likeness of God? God is in the Trinity model of mind, body, or, I'm sorry, God is uh, made in three persons, right? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So we are created in that Trinity model of mind, body, and spirit. Then week three was the first week that introduced us into the mind aspect of our body. If we know God... Uh, If we have stillness in our life, then our mind allows us to recognize and know God, know Jesus, know peace. Do you remember that? This was based off of Psalm 46 verse 10. Be still and know that I am God. Let your mind be still so you can recognize God in your life so you can have peace. Then week four, Taken by God was the title of the sermon. Uh, this was based off of the story of Enoch that Enoch walked with God then he was taken by God. so what was the lesson that we learned in that uh, sermon? It was that if your mind is to walk with God, you experience salvation and then week five a couple of weeks ago, we looked at on things above that if you set your mind on things above. That way your life will reflect Christ-like attitude on earth. So we spent three weeks on the mind. And today we go to the physical aspect, the physical aspect of our bodies. Into his likeness, we're going to look at doing good. Doing good. If we're looking at the physical aspect... We're going to explore the physical side of our being through the physical manifestation of God, which would be understood through Jesus. So if you're thinking about the physical nature of God, which we know is Jesus, the first thing that comes to mind is, well, how did Jesus look like? How did Jesus look like? If you look through Google and through lots of history books and art you will see that Jesus has many different faces. The face that we're most common or used to is the one on the top left corner, right? Which might actually, some of y'all might have it in your kitchen or in your living room or somewhere in your house. But if you look at the many different faces of Jesus, you see that there there's African American Jesus, there's uh, Asians have their own perception of how Jesus looked like. Jesus has many different faces through the course of time, and that's because, well, each culture has their own understanding of how he must have looked. I don't know if you remember seeing this picture. This was in 2015. Popular Mechanics reports that British forensic experts and Israeli archaeologists have collaborated to develop a computer model of Jesus Christ's face based on forensic uh, anthropology. Led by retired medical artist Dr. Richard Neve, the images constructed by the team of scientists suggest that Christ might have had a wide face with dark eyes, short dark hair, and a bushy beard and tanned skin. That's what the this artist rendered, and his group of uh, scientists and archaeologists. This is the picture that they came up with of how Jesus possibly may have looked. But it's all a hypothesis, it's all a guess. We really don't know. If you were to continue to read this article, and I have the source right there, this article continues to also say that Jesus, uh, they believe, Dr. Neve believes, that he might have been 5'1 at 110 pounds. I don't know if I can believe that because my mind, perhaps it's bias. I still imagine Jesus being a little taller than me, Right? Uh, At least that's my perception. Whether I'm right or wrong, no one really knows. The question is then, why does the Bible say very little of how Jesus looked like? There's one particular verse that really stands out among the rest. Isaiah 53 verse 2 and 3 says this, He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. It doesn't sound like how a king of all kings would look like, right? I mean when you think of a world leader who who comes to mind? The late Queen Elizabeth, who always looked proper? Our president, President Biden or former President Trump or former President Obama? Who comes to mind when you think of world leaders? comes to mind perhaps you're thinking of a celebrity or a famous musician if you ever seen celebrities go down a red carpet or or attend an event they looked very proper they looked very clean they have the latest uh, hairstyle if anything they're the ones that start the hairstyle right they have the most beautiful clothes that adorn their their body and and perhaps jewelry and other things Yet the king of all kings, the king of this entire universe, not just this earth, is described like this. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. Meaning that nothing about his appearance will draw us to him to think that he is truly representing how a king should look like. That's the only description that we have of Jesus. Not even a height. If you were to read the story on Saul, King Saul, the first king of, of Israel, what do you find out about him? You find out that he stood among, among his peers. He stood above his peers, meaning he was tall. What about Goliath? Depending on your translation, my Bible translation, I read it earlier today in 1 uh, Samuel 16, it says that he stood over nine feet tall. That was very specific. But for Jesus, we have no specifics. And why is that? I think that's because, you know, I think the writers didn't even think about this as they were writing about Jesus. The Bible tells us that God does not look on outward appearance. But at what? The heart is what really counts. The heart is what really counts. He doesn't look at the outward appearance. In God's ultimate planning, I bet he must have thought and said, I'm not going to give them the king that they expect. Maybe Jesus was 5'1 out of 110 pounds. I don't know. But now I can kind of understand why when he did come, what did people say about him? That's the prophet? Doesn't he come from Nazareth? Right? They rejected him. When they heard that the baby was going to be born, they said, well, where's where's he going to be born at? Let's Let's have a big celebration. Oh, in a little tiny manger in Bethlehem. Uh, I don't know if this is the correct Messiah that you're talking about. The king doesn't get born in a manger. He's born in a palace among his people, serving him. This Jesus, this Jesus that you're talking about, no, that can't be him. That's the first fault that we had as a human race. We reject by what we see. We reject by what we see. So why does the Bible not share a lot about his, on how he looked or how tall he was? Because I don't think it was important. It wasn't important. It isn't important. What is important, and this is uh, where I want us to focus on today, is Acts 10.38 says this. God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power and how he went around, doing what? Doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. What matters most is the person's heart. What matters most is what Jesus did. Well, then you might stop and say, we're talking about being transformed into his likeness. Isn't it important to understand what his likeness is? (laughs) Right? If the Bible doesn't say much of how he looked like, can we at least get a glimpse or an understanding of what his likeness was? And we can. It doesn't describe his height. It doesn't describe his weight. It doesn't describe his physique. Not directly, but we can get an idea. We can get an idea of Jesus' physical likeness understood through his actions. So, how can I really... Have you understand this? Well, if I were to say, if I were to describe a basketball player who dunks on a 10 foot rim, what comes to mind? How does that person, what's the physical likeness of that person then? What do you think that person looks like? Would you say, Anna? Very tall. They have to at least be Well, there's been some exceptions like Muggsy Bo at 5'7 and Spud Webb at 5'9 and they're dunking. I'm 5'9. I can't even get to the backboard anymore, okay? So, but at least they've got to be, what, 6'3"? Now, do you think they have a slender frame, a built frame, or a heavy frame? What's, what are you imagining there? Slender? You're thinking slender, right? In most cases, they're slender, unless your name is Shaquille O'Neal and you're massive. I met Shaquille O'Neal when I was, I think, 16 or 17 years old at the mall in Houston, Texas. He was shopping for his daughter and he had this big mass and group of people just following him. And and there's no way you're going to miss him because he was like five feet above everyone else. The nice thing about this man was he was giving autographs. Even though he was wanting to shop for his daughter, he just kept giving autographs to people. But when you see this guy's physique, I mean, his arm was my entire body. Shaq is huge, right? Now, if you think Shaq is big, wait until you Google him. Uh, see him next to Yao Ming, who stood 7'6". Seven, 7'6", six. Seven, six. Shaq looks like me next to Yao Ming, right? He just looks so small. It's all a matter of perspective. But that is an example of how, how someone's likeness can be understood through what they do, right? Whether it's a teacher who was writing on the whiteboard, now it's whiteboard, not chalkboard, a teacher who's writing on the whiteboard, what picture comes to mind? Someone who seems compassionate? Someone who might have glasses? Maybe female, maybe male, right? There's there's an idea that comes to mind. So with that thought in your head. Here is a chart that I created. There's three areas. Action, uh, the, the action that Jesus is doing, the source that it comes from, and then the physical likeness. So let's talk about walking. Jesus was mentioned many times walking from one city to another city, from one place to another place, from one person to another person. Remember, Jesus was walking through a crowd, and then there was a woman who was bleeding for 12 years and touched his cloak, and she became healed. And then he, all the while, while he was walking to Jairus' house, he has this experience with this lady. So now he's going to have to stop and, and go to her, tend to her, and give her what she needs before he proceeds to Jairus. This was happening to Jesus all the time. He was always going from one place to another place. There's a lot of texts that support this. Although for our sake today I only chose 3, Mark 4, uh, Matthew 4:18, Mark 2:23 and Luke 13:22. Write these down and you can study it later if you like. So if we were, if we we're going to assume what he what his physical likeness was, then we can say that he was perhaps thin to medium build because he walked a lot. Well, you might say someone who's a little heavy set also walks, but but we have to keep this in context. Jesus was going from one place to another place, sometimes on the whim, sometimes unplanned. Therefore, he wasn't eating on a regular basis. Maybe he skipped meals. Maybe his meals weren't as full as, as how we eat. I eat a lot. Bobby can testify to that. I, I can out out-eat people twice or three times in my size. And I say this humbly and also embarrassingly. But, but most likely, if we keep this in context, Jesus was probably thin to medium built. Okay. Let's look at another action that he did. He was, a skill, he was skilled in carpentry. We find that in Matthew 13 and Mark 6. Here's what I have. I have first-hand experience with carpentry. My dad is an awesome carpenter, mechanic as well, plumber as well. I mean, my dad does everything that that if you need it fixed, he can fix it. The thing I liked about my dad that I never had in my entire life is he had abs while I have flaps, right? Okay, my dad was a man that had really good muscle definition and he never went in a gym one time in his life, this was real muscle, not designer muscle. You know what designer muscles are? Designer muscles are the ones that you build in a gym. And then when you ask them to lift something or to uh, take a bolt off a car, they can't do it because it's not the, the, the usual movement of their arms. That's designer muscle. But my dad has, had real muscles. Now, he wasn't Arnold Schwarzenegger. He was thin. He was cut. He, you could see the definition. And I think if Jesus truly was a carpenter, he picked up this trade maybe when he was 8 to 10 years old. Now, when did Jesus start his ministry? Around young, early 30s, late 20s is what a lot of scholars believe. So he had been doing it for two decades. I would say Jesus had muscular definition. Muscular definition. Real muscles, not designer ones. Plus, they didn't have a 24-hour fitness back then. Okay, number three. There's an example in John 13 where it tells us that Jesus washed his disciples' feet. I had to include this one. I think this one's very important. If we claim to be a Christian, this ingredient of humility is very important. For our Christian walk. So, what is a physical likeness that Jesus had through this exa- example? Is that he e- exhibited, he illustrated humility by kneeling down and washing the feet of Peter. This is in John 13. When, uh, when Peter saw Jesus taking the basin and taking a towel, Peter put two and two together and he said, Are you about to wash my feet? No, 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 I should be the one to wash your feet. And do you remember Jesus' response? He said, this needs to be done if you're going to be a part of me. What needs to be done? The foot washing, no. What it illustrates, the humility, humility needs to be done if you're gonna have a part with me. That's just natural. If you and I say, I know better, I don't need God in my life, that's pride, and that's already us shutting the door to the Holy Spirit. That's why we need to get on our knees. That's why we need humility in our life, so we can have a part with God, so we can have a part with his likeness. That way we can be transformed into his likeness. Number four, I have a total of 10 of these, but we'll get through them uh, as quickly as I can. Number four, it tells us that Jesus solitarily prayed. Mark 1 verse 35 tells us that before the sun had even come out, Jesus was already praying to God. Now, this isn't one of those short-ended prayers. It's not one of those short prayers that Right before, you, uh, right before you eat a meal, what are you doing? You're, you're praying for about, what, five seconds, 10 seconds. Dear Jesus, thank you for this food. May you bless it to nourish our bodies, amen. I'm not saying that's a bad prayer. I think you should pray for, for things that you're blessed with. You should also pray, however, I think, maybe once a week, you should have that uninterrupted prayer following Jesus' example, where you're finding a solitude, quiet place, and it's just you and God. And you are unloading your burdens. You're sharing everything. This is the prayer that I love to call the David prayer. Have you ever spent some time in the book of Psalms where David just has these beautiful prayers of what, what bothers him, where he longs to be, how he longs to be with God, where he prays for justice, where he prays uh, things to be done against his enemies. If you've ever had that kind of prayer, that's the kind of prayer that you feel invigorated after you say amen. You feel like this whole this whole mass has been lifted from your shoulders. That's why you would feel invigorated. So prayer can do that for you. And Jesus did it. And I bet you when Peter finally saw him, remember in this context, he said, Jesus, where have you been? After Jesus uh, said amen and he started walking back to his disciples, Peter finally found him and he said, we've been looking for you. I bet Peter also noticed wow, there's something different about you. You look alive. You look refreshed. You look invigorated. Number five is connected to number four Jesus sought rest. Here's an activity that he tried to do on a regular basis. He tried to look for rest with his disciples. You see this in Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 30. Matthew 11 is where he says, Come to me who are weary and burdened, and I shall give you rest right? My yoke is easy, What is what he says. My yoke is easy. I don't have much expectation from you, except that you love one another as yourself. So he sought rest, and when he rested, he was rejuvenated. I know you've experienced that in your life. Maybe a time where you have had a very busy week and you weren't able to sleep much. But once you got that eight hours or maybe nine hours or 10 hours of sleep, when you woke up, you felt like a new person, rejuvenated. What's the difference between invigorated and, what's, uh, and rejuvenated? Well, the way I define those, by the way, if you look those up in the Oxford Dictionary, they're defined the same way. Regaining new energy or gaining new energy so you feel alive. No, there's a difference. To me, invigorate is more of a mental capacity. When you pray, your mind is a lot clearer. You feel like your intelligence has come back, you're smart again while rejuvenate is for your physical nature, because I have now slept the eight hours I've been lacking. Now I wake up feeling good again, feeling strong, good, holy good, not one-fourth good, right, Stan, but entirely good. Uh, Stan and I have a running joke about that. So, number six, Jesus, through the actions that he does or that actions that are done to him number 6 shows that he's he was beaten and flogged beaten and flogged in the bible this is uh, this happens right before he is uh, crucified right this is where he is has been arrested and now he's beaten and flogged what this shows me about his physical likeness is that Jesus has long suffering long suffering this shows to me that God is one who has long suffering. I cannot imagine what that must feel like to get beaten, to get struck down, to get kicked, to get flogged with. With If you saw the whips that he was struck with, it wasn't just a leather whip. At the end of it was a metal contraption that had spikes on it. And as he was struck and hit, that would tear flesh and muscle. That sounds like a very painful experience. Yet, yet, he suffered and endured it. For what? Why didn't he give in? I think if it was just for his sake, he would have said no more. But he didn't give in because of you and because of for me. He didn't give in because he knew the weight of salvation was on him. And he pushed forward because he understood it was a matter of life and death, not just for him, not just for one or two people. I think it's a life and death for the entire universe. Put that into perspective. Put that into perspective Jesus understood that and he was able to suffer and endure the beatings. Which number seven brings us to crucified and killed. He was crucified and killed for our sins. You may notice that the one thing here that is found in every gospel is his crucifixion. All of the other stories, you might find it in one or two or three of the gospels. But the crucifixion is... Witness, it was accounted by every single one of the gospel writers. Why? Because it's a very important story. When Jesus was crucified and killed, what was his physical likeness? Lifeless and dead. And that's got to be clear in each and every one of our minds. The reason why that has to be clear is that there are some naysayers. In the ancient world, as much as in our world today, where some people say, well, Jesus wasn't really dead. When he was crucified, the Romans had it wrong. They thought he was dead, but they took a man into the tomb when he was still alive. And that's why he was able to walk out. But no, the Bible clearly points out that he was lifeless and dead. Review that story in those... those, um, Chapters that are presented there, and you'll see that he was clearly dead. And the reason why we need to understand that brings us to point number eight. For his resurrection to mean anything, we have to believe that he was dead. But I love this part. When God is in your life, not even death has a sting. When Jesus is in your life, not even death can bring you down. So what's the physical likeness in this situation then? Now that he's been resurrected and risen, he's alive. He's alive. There's one that I didn't include here. I was really struggling if I should have 11. Ending at 11 just seemed a little odd, so I left it out. But if you look at the end of book, uh, at the uh, in the book of John, Jesus is eating with his disciples after his resurrection. That's another action he did. He ate with his disciples. Do you know why that's an important thing to know to to make note of? Is because ghosts and spirits don't eat, but a physical body, one that is alive, well, and kicking, is going to eat, and he ate with his disciples for how many days? For the next 40 days, he was with them. And with other people, he was with them. He intentionally did that. I believe God intentionally did that so that way there's strong proof that Jesus was not a figment of their imagination, that he was not a ghost. Thus he ate. All right, let's look at another action. This is the second to last one. Jesus' physical likeness understood through his actions. Number nine, his interaction with Thomas. In John chapter 20, verse 24 to 28, remember, Thomas was not part of the disciples that saw Jesus when he resurrected, right? So he told all the other disciples and said, I don't know if I can believe you that Jesus is really alive. I have to see it with my own eyes, right? Right, Obed? Seeing is believing. You have to see it to believe well, that's what Thomas said. So what did Jesus do? He showed himself to Thomas, and he said, look at my hand, Thomas. This is me. This isn't some actor. This isn't some figment of your imagination. Look at my hand. Why was he pointing to his hand? Because of the nail that went through his hand when he was on the cross. Look at my, my uh, Jim, I'm for, I forget. Was he stabbed on the left side or right side? left side look at look at my left side there's a there's a big hole from when I was struck by the roman soldier with his spear what's the physical likeness that we understand here jesus's scarred body for all eternity mind you let's keep this in perspective his scarred body for the rest of eternity, while you and I are recreated brand new, he's going to carry the scars. Not to guilt us, I don't think, but to remind us of his love. Every scar has a story. And his scars, his, the story of his scar is the story of his love for you and me. I'm getting goosebumps just thinking about that. And number 10, the last action that we can, uh, we can study to understand his likeness is that he ascends to heaven. In Acts chapter one, verse nine, he ascends to heaven. And what's the physical likeness that we see here? I had no way of describing it, so I just said, out of this world likeness. Out of this world likeness. And why is this out of this world likeness? Because, I don't know, have you ever seen anyone levitate? I have never seen anyone levitate without any harness or rope. I've seen behind the scenes on movies on how they make movies, but that's not real levitation, that's fiction. So, for the disciples, if you were to read this in verse 10, it actually says that they're just so stunned at what they're seeing, they don't move for maybe minutes or hours. They're just stunned. It's not only Jesus levitating, mind you, it's other people that he's taking to heaven with him. They're stunned. That these other angels have to come and snap them out of it. Hey, Peter, John, Matthew, wake up, guys. You can go. The same Jesus that has left this way will come back in that same manner. They were stunned. And I can understand their surprise because I have never seen it in my life. That is truly out of this world likeness. And why do I feel like I needed to include this? It's because we have to remember that Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior, that he is, while he is man, he is also God. And it's only through him that we have any meaning in our life. It's only through him do we have a chance to heaven. So, I bring back the question, why is there no detailed account on how Jesus looks? Because it doesn't matter. But what matters is what Jesus did. What matters is what Jesus did. So what's our takeaway for today? What's our takeaway from today's message? The takeaway that I got from this, and you have different takeaways and I'd like to hear it, you know, I'd like to hear your takeaway, but my takeaway from this is that it tells me my body should be used to glorify God. My body should be used in the service of others. That's what Jesus did. If you and I are to walk with Jesus so we can grow into his likeness, that's from week one. If you and I are to grow into Jesus' likeness, we have to understand that our bodies, our physical likeness, is in the purpose of serving others and serving God. That's my takeaway. Which then, this will bring me to part two of this, which we'll talk about in two weeks. I won't be here next week. Chaplain Dave is speaking. I'm going to be in Houston baptizing my niece. So that's going to be a wonderful experience. But when I come back, the the second part to this will be focused on how we should be stewards of our body. That's my takeaway. If I'm to follow Jesus, then I need to take care of my body. I can't waste it on on substance abuse or bad foods. I shouldn't waste it getting too overly obese that I can't function and move. We have a responsibility to one another, to our loved ones. We do. To God. Closing thought before Nathan comes up. It's John three sixteen, and I think this verse really encapsules this, this message. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in, believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. I hope you gained a new perspective on God's or Jesus' physical nature. There's a lot of them out there. There's a lot of proofs of, of Jesus' physical nature. Read the New Testament. You'll see it in there. Don't take it for granted. There's a lot of lessons to glean from there, and I hope this was helpful for you today.